Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here. And once again, if you're our guest, if this is your first time or if you're new, we just want to welcome you. Or if you're watching later this week online, thank you so much for joining us. We are in our fifth, and this is the final week of this series of conversations called Wonder. And we've been reflecting and talking about how we want to make sure that we're not too busy, that we don't get distracted, we don't allow our lives to fill up with other things, and we miss those moments to pause and to really contemplate and to reflect on the wonder of God. And so that's what we've been doing in this series. And I want to do something that we've kind of done um, every week. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes and take a deep breath. I realize you'd fall asleep because this is Daylight Savings Weekend, okay? So I want you to reach in front of you and grab one of those cards or take out your smartphone, just something you can write something down on. And I want you to take a moment, uh, it may take you a second to reflect on this, and I want you to think about one or two of the most difficult moments in your life. Could be when you were younger and maybe you lost a grandparent or you lost someone that was close to you. Um, could be a broken relationship in your life. It could be um, an illness that affected you or someone close to you. So just take a moment and write that down. One or two of the most difficult moments, maybe a hard moment in your life that you've faced thus far. Then after you've done that, um, once you've written that down, just one or two hard moments, you don't have to write a whole paragraph. You can kind of just jot that idea down. I want you to think back, what did it feel like in that moment? Maybe you felt hopeless. Maybe you felt sad. Maybe you felt like, yeah, there, there's not an answer. You didn't know where to turn. Maybe you felt alone in that moment. And so just write that down. What did it feel like? Think back to that. What were you feeling in that moment? So just once again, what, maybe one or two words of that difficult time and what it felt like to walk through that. Then I want you to draw a line. You can draw it horizontally or vertically, however you're writing there. And I want you to write down just a truth that you know about God that may relate to that. So maybe it was sickness and you write down, God, I trust that you're my healer. Or maybe you felt alone at a point, at a dark point. Maybe you were depressed and you write down, God, you're my comforter. So whatever that is, just take, write one or two statements. God, I know you are this. I've walked through difficult times, but God, I know you are this in my life. So just write that down real quick. Um, take a second and you can jot that down. And then hold on to that. We're going to reflect and look back at that in just a few moments. So the story that we're looking at today as we look at um, the wonder of God, once again, it took place a few hundred years before the time of Christ. So this was what was before Jesus was here on this earth. And the people of God had, um, they'd come into the promised land. There had been kings and prophets that came and went throughout um, the people of God's history. And God had warned them, if you keep turning your back on me, you keep following other gods, you're going to be attacked by another nation and they're going to carry you away. If you don't want my provision, eventually that's going to come back and it's going to hurt you. And so the people of God, they kept following other gods. They kept worshiping false idols and doing all of this. And so they were carried away into captivity. Another nation came and attacked them and took them into exile. And so I want us to look a little bit at the background and the culture of the story that we're going to look at today. So let's look at a little bit of the then and there of the story. Hey. 
Hey NCC, I'm so glad to be with you today. My name is Chad Benson. I'm the pastor of LifeGate Church in Burleson. So excited about what God is doing in your great church. Love your pastors so much. What an honor to be able to share with you today. And I get to share with you about one of my favorite uh, Bible stories about three guys named Shadrach, Meshach, and a billy goat. Actually, that's what I called them when I was a kid, but the real names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to give you a little bit of background, in 600 BC, uh, the Israelites were captured by the Babylonian nation, defeated and brought into exile. And so now we find these three Jewish men living in a very non-God-fearing pagan culture, men who loved God, who yet lived in a nation surrounded by people who did not love God. A lot like what we live in, in many parts of America and many parts of the world today, there was this great pressure to conform to the culture around them. So much so we can even see it in their names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not actually their Jewish names. They were names that were given to them by the Babylonian Empire to try to conform them into their beliefs. In fact, we see some interesting things about their name. The name Shadrach was the Babylonian name, but his actual Jewish name was Hananiah, which actually meant Yahweh has been gracious. And you can see that Shadrach actually meant afraid of God. And it's kind of interesting how just even in their names, tried to uh, the culture tried to conform them. We see with Meshach, his Jewish name was Mishael, which meant there is no other God like our God. And yet the name that was given to him in that empire of Babylon was Meshach, which meant to be despised or contemptible or to be humiliated. With Abednego, his Hebrew name was Azariah, which meant Yahweh has helped me. And yet Abednego, the Babylonian name meant servant of Nebo. In other words, God is not good and you're not his son. You are a slave. And it's interesting that the same type of things that were happening in those days are happening today as well as culture will try to conform us to its patterns of beliefs. So we want to look at this story. I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to open them to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start reading at verse 8. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can open up that blue Bible and turn to page 438 and follow along with us. And I want to encourage everyone to open up Scripture, take out your smartphone, and just Google Daniel chapter 3, and you will get there. Um, but open up scripture with us and let's look at what God's doing, how we see the wonder of God and what we can see in our own lives and how God wants to challenge us um, from his word this morning. And so once you have that Daniel chapter three, verse eight, hold on to that for just a quick moment. And I want to set the background of what's taking place here in Daniel. Um, this king named Nebuchadnezzar, okay, try to say that to the person next to you, Nebuchadnezzar. It's a little fun to say, okay? Um, was this king, this fierce king, he ruled over one of the largest empires of the then known world and was not a nice guy, okay? And he had taken the people of God and other nations into captivity. And what he would do is he would select a few of the brightest, 
the best looking, maybe the strongest, some young people, and he would bring them into the palace. He would groom them, pamper them, spoil them. Daniel chapter two talks about this, the food that they're given, kind of the lifestyle that they live, how they're taken care of physically and looked after all of these things because the king wanted them to serve him. That was really the purpose. Um, just as Pastor Chad mentioned, they would change their name. They were trying to get them to fit into the culture of that time and kind of assimilate and really conform to what was taking place. And so that's the culture that they were living in as we pick up this story. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a very arrogant guy, was very prideful. And so he had built this statue. It's kind of an amazing thing. 90 feet tall, imagine 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, made of solid gold. And this was his decree that whenever the music started playing, that whatever you were doing, you would stop what you were doing and you would bow down and worship this idol. You would worship the God that this symbolized. You would give your allegiance and your worship to this God. And the people of God knew, hey, this is not what we should be doing. Um, And this is where we pick up this story. In Daniel chapter three, verse eight, this is what it says. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans... Okay, those were simply the Babylonians. They came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, pay no attention to you, and they do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So let's pause right here and see what's going on. The king has made this statue and he's made this decree that anytime you hear the music playing, okay, anytime the songs start, I don't know what the music was like, but anytime that happens, you were to stop what you were doing and you were to bow down and worship this image. And as I mentioned, the Jewish people knew this is not what God wanted them to do. This was not God's desire for their life. A matter of fact, that was one of the main reasons they're in captivity, It's because they had worshiped false gods. They had worshiped false idols. And the Lord told them, this is going to cause your destruction if you continue to do this. And yet they proceeded to do that. And then these three men, in the midst of this, whenever the king gives this decree that everyone is going to bow down, everyone is going to worship, they choose to stand up and to stand out in the midst of everyone else. And that's the call that God gives us in our life as it relates to culture, as it relates to what we're doing, that we are called to stand up and to stand out even in the midst of the culture around us while everyone else is conforming, while everyone else is doing that. We're called to be different in the world that God has placed us in and what God has called us to do in our lives. So I want you to just think about that. They're literally in defiance. Everyone else is on the ground. Everyone else is bowing down and they're standing there. It's visible that everyone can see them. And the difficult thing is there were kind of sections of exiles. There were kind of groups of people that were taken. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken in one of the largest groups. So there are thousands of other Jews there. And we're not told that they stood up. It, were only, it was only these three that were told in this story that stood in defiance there. And there had to be this temptation, right? There had to be this thought of maybe there's a loophole, right? 
We don't want to get in trouble. We know the king is not a gracious God. So we're not really going to bow down, but what if we just take a knee, right? So we won't stand up, but we'll just kind of take a knee. And um, that way we don't really, everyone can't see us. They can't see what's going on. And maybe we'll just do that. Or maybe we'll bow down. But when we bow down in worship, we won't really be thinking about that idol. We'll be thinking about our God. And in our hearts, we'll know really in our hearts that we're worshiping a different God. But that was not what God had called them to do. See, the true calling of the people of Israel was that they would take the light of God to the nations around them. And that they would display the holiness of God and the righteousness of God, the goodness of God and the love of their heavenly father to the world around them. And if they would have bowed down, even if in their hearts, they would have said, well, we're worshiping something else. They would have compromised and conformed. And yet they were called to stand up and to stand out in that situation that they were placed in. They could not be like everyone else. And you and I, we face that same temptation It is easy in your life and it's easy in my life to try to just fit in, to blend in with the world around us when that is not what God has called you to do. He's called you to be a light. He's called you to be an example. Other people need to see what God is doing in your life, what it looks like to worship the one true God and to stand out from the crowd so they can see the light of Christ in your life. That's what we're called to do. You're called to stand up and to stand out. Now, I know a little bit about the standing out, and that is because for six months of the year, this is what my hair looks like right here. I sport an afro, you guys. If you've only known me for a few weeks, you may not know that about me, but for a big part of the year, this is what my hair looks like, and it really causes me to stand out. I've been in some different situations. At Walmart, I've been solicited to be in a hair parade. I didn't even know that was a thing. But they told me, we'll put you on a car and you'll be in the middle of this parade and we'll describe your Afro and what it's like and how to style it and how to do all of these things. And I thought, that sounds crazy. And thankfully, I had other obligations that weekend, so I had to decline, okay? It makes me stand out. People that I don't know feel like they have the right to come up and put their hands in my hair. I don't know you. We're not that close. But they feel like, hey, you're different, so we can do that. They can comment on my hair, okay? So they can say whether they like it or don't like it. And there are people with hairstyles all around. They're not talking about those, but they do talk about my Afro and they feel the need to include me in on that conversation, okay? And so for whatever reason, it makes me stand out, okay? It's different. And that's what God is talking about. Not a difference in an outward appearance, not your hairstyle or your clothes or something like that. But what he's looking at is in your heart, in your lifestyle, Your words, church, your actions, your attitudes, it should make you stand out from the crowd. People should look at you and say, there is something different. There's a no compromise attitude that you're not willing to give in. You're not willing to conform and be shaped by society, but there is something different inside of you. God living inside of you does something where everyone around you takes notice because you stand up and you stand out and you say, I'm not willing to compromise no matter the cost. I'm going to be different. And there is that temptation. There always is to conform to the culture around us. But that's not what you're called to do. And students, that means when you're in the classroom or adults, you're in the workplace and people begin to gossip about that other person. They begin to talk about the boss or another student. And you think, man, I can't be part of this conversation. It could feel comfortable just to kind of stand there. Well, I'm not saying anything. 
I'm not doing that, but that's not what you've been called to do. You've been called to stand up for those that are broken, for those that are hurting, for those that are being talked about. That's what God has called you to do. You're called to stand up. That means when someone makes that inappropriate sexual joke in the workplace, you're not participating in that. You're not laughing. And yeah, it is scary to think I'm walking away from that conversation. I'm not going to be a part of that. What are they going to say about me? Are they going to make jokes behind my back? It doesn't matter. You're called to stand out. You're called to be different. That means in the workplace, if you're married, there is no harmless flirtation. There is no, okay, kind of emotional connections. Well, we're not really doing anything. We're not acting upon these. We're just kind of joking around. No, you're called to be different. You're called to be an example of what it means to faithfully love the person God has placed in your life. You're not called to be like everyone else. You're called to display the love of Christ to those around you through your relationships. It's easy to compromise. It's easy to try to blend in. And yet Jesus and God looks at your life and he says, I'm calling you to something more that those around you would see the light of Christ in your life. We can't compromise. And so these three Hebrew young men, they realize that. They realize we have to speak the truth. We have to tell the king, we will not bow down. We will not worship. We're not gonna compromise in our life. And when they do that, Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. And he brings them forward. And it's no longer a general threat like, hey, if you don't bow down, okay, um, then I'm gonna throw you into the fiery furnace. He's now looking into the eyes of these three young men. And Nebuchadnezzar is not known in history for his kindness. He's not the kind of king that's going to say, okay, you guys, I was just joking. It's totally okay if you don't worship. No, he is a very arrogant and prideful individual. We know this through the story that we read in Daniel. And so he gets mad at them. And he says, I'm going to give you one last chance. Either you follow what I say or you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. You're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And this is their response in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if you have your Bibles, I want you to underline that or highlight that. Even if you have one of those blue Bibles, just write a line under that. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, we will not worship your gods or the golden image that you have set up. Now I'm trying to put myself in their mindset. Imagine you are them. You're standing in front of one of the most fierce individuals, the guy that has the power to end your life, and you're looking at him and you're saying, God's more powerful than you are. God can deliver us out of your hand. And I'm wondering, what did they think God was going to do? Is this going to be like the story that we talked about last week in Gideon where God confuses the enemy and they just wipe out each other? I don't know if that's what they thought. I don't know if they thought God would hit them with the lightning bolt, like whoosh. And Nebuchadnezzar, now you're on fire. And so, haha, God got you. I don't know what they thought was going to happen, but they obviously believe, God, you can deliver us. I don't know if they thought it would play out like it actually does in the story, but they knew, God, you can deliver us. But then the statement that has always amazed me and that may sound like a statement of faith. They're looking at the king saying, God, 
God's more powerful than you. God can change this situation. But if not, we're still not going to serve you. Still not going to worship your gods. We're still not going to bow down to your golden image. Now, you may read that and think, wait, is there doubt there? Like, are they wavering? Like, God, maybe you'll save us. Maybe you could deliver us, but there's not really faith. Like, maybe it won't happen. But that's not the case. This is the statement of faith. This is the most powerful part of faith that, God, no matter what happens, no matter what takes place in this situation, no matter the outcome, Lord, we don't know how this is going to turn out, but we can tell you this, we are going to trust in the living God no matter what ends up happening. Our faith and our trust is on you, God. And that's what they declare. God, we know this, that Lord, you are the one true God. And so we are not going to serve anyone else. You're able to deliver us. But even if you don't, that statement always amazes me. Even if you don't, Lord, we're going to trust you. And you guys, it takes faith, takes a God kind of faith to walk into the fire. And some of us, we think we have faith, but this is what we're doing. We're not having faith in God. We're having faith in the circumstances. Like back in school, you guys may remember this, God, if you just help me to pass this test, right? I won't miss church for four weeks. I promise, Lord, I promise. God, get me out of this situation. Just do something miraculous, God, and I will serve you. I promise I'll never do anything bad again. I'll pray every day. Like, that's not really faith in God. You know, that's trying to manipulate God. That's trying to get God to do what you want. And what they're saying is, God, it doesn't matter the answer. It doesn't matter the outcome, Lord. It doesn't matter what you do. Our faith and our trust is in you, O Lord. And so our faith isn't going to waver. We're not going to worship something else in the culture around you. That's what they want you to do. Hey, well, if God doesn't bless you financially, then, then maybe you start worshiping money. Maybe you start worshiping wealth. Maybe your, your idol is possessions in the things that you can accumulate. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's some position in your job. It's these other things. That's what you should bow down and worship. And they're saying, wait, it doesn't matter the circumstances. And I can remember growing up as a young boy, and I would hear different preachers on TV. I'm not going to mention their names. And they would preach a message like that. If you just have enough faith, if you just believe strong, you believe hard enough, you name it and you claim it, then God has to give it to you. Well, that's not what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying. They're saying, God, it doesn't matter the outcome. This isn't about you doing what I want, God. This is about me serving you no matter the outcome, no matter the circumstances. There are, are ministers, they may still be around today, that were preaching a gospel of this. Of, well, if you just send money to our ministry, then God will give you a new car. You'll have a new house. You'll be rich. You'll be wealthy. That's not what they're saying. This isn't about twisting God's arm. This isn't about manipulating God. That I want you to hear me. That is not faith in God. That's faith in yourself. If I can believe enough, if I can will it and want it enough, then God has to do what I want him to do. That is not the gospel. And what they're saying is, no, it doesn't matter the situation. I'm still going to worship you. My trust is not in the outcome. My trust is in you, God. And nothing is going to shake my faith. I'll walk in the middle of a fire. It doesn't matter, God, because I know that you are in control, God. I know that you control the outcome. That's faith. And it does, it takes, that must have been a scary moment for them to know, God, you can deliver us, 
but it doesn't matter the outcome, God. We are not going to waver. We're still going to serve you, Lord. You have our heart. Lord, we trust in you. And so they make this statement. They make that declaration, God, we're trusting in you. There may be moments where it looks like you're walking into the fire. And you've got to make that bold statement. You've got to make that declaration. God, I know that you're able to heal me. What did you write down on that paper? God, I know I'm going through this dark moment. I know it feels like I'm all alone, God. I know it feels like this, but Lord, I still trust you, God. I'm not going to worship something else, Lord. God, even if I'm feeling like this in this moment, God, even if I don't know the outcome, God, my hope and my trust is in you, Lord. You are who you've said you are. That's what I trust. And when this happens, Nebuchadnezzar, if he was mad before, he becomes irate and he loses it. And so he makes this declaration, okay, then the fiery furnace, make it, turn it up seven times hotter than it currently is. Now you need to understand there was no way to gauge that, okay? There wasn't a digital thermometer or an iPhone where you could test the outside temperature, any of that, okay? There, there wasn't a thermostat or anything to heat it up. Basically, he was saying, get it so hot that there's no doubt that they're going to die, Okay, that's, that's what I want. I'm so mad. I want to make sure that there's no chance, right, that this thing is so boiling hot. And this is what I imagine it was like. I don't know if you've ever done this, but when you're cooking the pizza in the oven and you open it up and that hot air blasts out at you and your eyes dry up, it feels like your skin's melting off of your face, right, and you're screaming. That's, that's what it was like because the guys that carried these three Hebrew young men and were going to put them in the furnace, they fell down dead. The fire was so hot that they collapsed instantly and died right there on the spot because Nebuchadnezzar said, make it as hot as you possibly can. And they did, and it ended up killing them. And then this is what takes place. Nebuchadnezzar says this, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar in verse 24 was astonished. And he stands up, he rises up in haste, and he declares to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said, true, O king. And he answered and he said, but I see four men unbound and they're walking in the midst of the fire and they're not even hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know how to even describe. He's, he's like, there's something, I don't know how to explain it, but one of them looks like a son of the gods. One of them looks different than any human being. I'm seeing something different there. That's why he asked the guys next to him, am I, am I imagining something? And they're like, no, we, we see it. There were only three guys, but now there's four guys unbound and they're walking around in the midst of the fire. And I want to tell you this, the wonder of God is this, Jesus is in the midst of the fire with you. I want you to hear that Jesus is in the midst of the fire with you. Sometimes we think, well, God, you're there when I get out of the situation. You're there, God, when you wave some kind of magic wand and everything, you know, magically comes back into order. It happens like I want it to. But this is a reminder. This story is a powerful reminder. Jesus is walking in the midst of the fire with you. They had to go through the furnace. They had to be in that hot situation. But Jesus said, hey, I'm going to be right there with you. I'm still in control. And it wasn't death. It wasn't captivity. It was actually freedom that they experienced in that moment. They're no longer bound. What was holding them back before is now loosed inside of their life. And Jesus, his presence brings freedom right there in that circumstance, in the situation that they're in. And that's how it is in your life and in my life.
And there are those around you that would tell you, there may be even close family members, well, God's left you. God's forgotten about you. Sometimes we fall into that, well, if I follow Jesus, right, everything should go smoothly, everything should be perfect, everything should just be easy in my life. And even Jesus said it. He said, hey, I face troubles. You're gonna face troubles, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that's what he's telling you is in the midst of your dark night, in the midst of your desperate circumstance, in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of feeling alone, in the midst of not knowing, God, how this is going to turn out. Jesus is right there in that moment with you. That's what God's word says, that he is a man that's acquainted with sorrows. Jesus understands what it's like to lose someone very close to him. He stood outside of the grave of someone that he loved, and he wept tears because he experienced that kind of loss. He knows what it's like to see sickness destroy someone's body. He understands those things. He's experienced the sorrows that we go through, and yet he walks in those moments with us. He's right there with you, church. He's standing with you in the midst of the fire, in the midst of what you go through. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. God's presence is right there, and he wants to bring freedom into your life. He wants you to experience the goodness and the amazing grace of God. Jesus is in the midst of the fire with you. So Nebuchadnezzar, he calls the three Hebrew children out of the furnace. I don't know why he didn't call the fourth man. Maybe he was scared that it really was God and God was going to strike him down or something. But he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is what he says. Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. He's saying, hey, they openly defied me and they yielded up their bodies rather than to serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or language that speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb in their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue this way. Then the king promoted them in the province of Babylon. You want to see what happens when you live a life of no compromise. You want to see what happens when you place your trust in God, not in the circumstance, not in the outcome of the situation, but you put your faith in God. God, you're in control. When you allow God to step in the midst of your difficult circumstance to be in the fire with you, all of a sudden, your light and your life can change a nation. You guys, we're not talking about hundreds. We're not talking about thousands of Jewish people that were doing the right thing. We're talking about three young Hebrew men that when everyone else conformed, they chose to stand up and to stand out and say, we will not compromise what God has called us to do. We're talking about just three in a nation of, of thousands, hundreds of thousands, this whole Babylonian empire that said, we choose to trust in God no matter what you do to us. We are not gonna worry about the outcome. Our faith and our trust is in God. And all of a sudden, the light of God is brought into Babylon. Now, all of a sudden, the most powerful man in the world He's saying, wait a second, we've been worshiping the wrong God. There is no other God like their God. There is no one else who does the miraculous. There is no one else who is able to save like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. No one else can do that. He is different than all other gods, than anyone else. He's the one who's worthy of your worship. Because these three young men said, 
we're going to choose to stand up. And church, I want you to think about what would it be like in your life and in my life if we chose not to compromise, to take the easy way out, to blend into culture. If we chose to stand up and to speak the truth of God in love to those around us, to display the light of Christ and the truth of Christ to the world around us. How many amazing, wonderful things does God want to do? But our faith and our trust needs to be in him.